We know now that in the early years of the 20th century, this world was being watched closely by intelligences greater than man's. Men from Moto. Digital strategies with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Intellect, vast, cool, and unsympathetic. Broadcast to the world with the uncanny help of Mana Deprived and FaceToFaceGames.com. Greetings, people of Earth. We're the men from Moto, and you're listening to episode 89, Boys Gone Wildcard. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir? I'm handsome. How are you, David? I am going wild this week. Yeah, apparently. So, um, how's your drafting on Arena been? Well, I've still been doing some drafts on Arena, but I've been doing about one a day. Uh, the, the issue we talked about last week seems to still be there. I did one draft today. It was a Demir deck uh, with, uh, what's the rumor mill card? Disinformation campaign. And I played against five other Demir decks, uh, two of which were confirmed to have disinformation campaign. The other ones I killed too fast. And one mono white deck, which I'm thinking was either somebody that really didn't know what they were doing or somebody that really did know what they were doing and was like, I just I just don't want to draft Demir anymore. Screw it. I'm just going to take all the white two drops and kill you. And they did. They killed me with mono white two drops. But, I mean, if you want to play Demir or Boros Mirrors, it's still fine. Um, but I've actually found that there's another mode kind of hidden in Arena called Standard? Standard. Yes. I'm, I'm not sure I'm familiar with that word. It's kind of like Sealed, but you can use all the cards you have. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. And, you, and you play 40-card decks? <laughs> no, you get to play even more cards. But like I I've been playing standard for about a week and enjoying it. Um I I was kind of just going to suck it up and, you know, draft a mirror decks all week and uh my buddy Ray, who has been a guest of the podcast now that I remember, showed up and was like, "Hey, here's a standard deck you might like. Uh it's a Golgari mid-range deck, which seems to be all the rage. I didn't know that when I picked it up, uh but apparently a lot of people are playing it. And it it plays a lot like Jund and Modern did where you're trying to kind of accrue value, answer your opponent's threats, um, draw some extra cards. And like, I, I kind of really dug the play style with it and I I've tweaked it and played with it and made some adjustments and probably ruined it, but I, I've had a blast playing with it and actually able to pretty consistently leave the competitive constructed with more gold than I walked in with. So what I've been doing is just playing that until I get 5,000 gold and then going to play into mirrors. Nice. That seems like the way to do it. So um, you are still taking a free-to-play approach to this. And I mean, granted, you've, you know, you did put in money to start with, but, um, you know, your your approach can probably be something that a lot of other players can do as well, just on a, you know, a much smaller scale, I would say. Yeah, and I've, I've still got gems I could draft. It's just, uh, I want to wait for him to fix the bots or give me drafting with people or, you know, rotate in a, another draft format. I know they're doing Dominaria in a week or two, and I'd draft that again. Yeah, I think that's what I'm saving my gold for for now is Dominaria. I've got a lot of cards out of the Guilds of Ravnica sets that I think that I want. Um, so I think I'm just going to look to draft another set, try to open up some more lands and, and some other cool rares to build with. So I think um, I'm also doing the standard. And um, I'm doing more ladder play, just doing my, my 15 or 14 wins a day or whatever it is. And um, uh, I'll probably start jumping into the queues now that I have a more competitive deck. Um, I landed on Is It Control? 
and um, it's been it's been doing quite nice uh, so far. I like uh, learning the matchups and things like that, so I think I'll probably jump into those queues. I actually have a deck that can deal with Teferi, and it feels quite nice to do that. It does feel so good when you beat Teferi. Yeah. So this week, um, we're going to skip the drafts, although I kind of... Maybe we can talk about draft uh, next week or something like that. I did get to draft on Moto last week, and I went 5-1, and one, which is pretty good, so... That's good. Um, and I, I want to reiterate that, like, this format is not bad. Drafting no. with the bots on Arena is repetitive. So, like, if you want to jump in and do one draft, jump in and do one draft. I'm talking about, like, I, I play Magic for, you know, 8 to 10 hours a day. For me, I'm not really interested in drafting it on Arena, which got me into Standard, and lo and behold, it's actually fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm still enjoying drafting on on Magic Magic Online. Um, had a couple of sweet decks. I'm trying to remember what I 3 would with. Oh, I 3 would with uh, Golgari. No, sorry, Selesnya Indrex. Uh, I had I had three <laughs> Fatal Hugs. And, uh, <laughs> Beast, I like Fatal like, Hug. I hadn't heard that. That before. was like the easiest 3 that I've had in a while. Um, and surprisingly, I also got to cast the, the four five flyer with convoke a few times. Um, that, that was quite neat. And then I had a two one with, I want to say it was an, is it deck? And, uh, the only game that I lost was to a Boros deck that had uh, dawn of hope that I just couldn't beat with, is it? Um, but the other two games were, were quite sweet. So I think I had an explosion, which I got to explosion for eight, I think once or seven. And then two games I finished off. Uh, on the verge of losing and top decked a sure strike for my Wii Dragonauts to, to swing for lethal both games. So that was kind of sweet to to kind of pull out those close victories. But um, format's great so far, or continues to be great, I guess, so far for me. I've, I'm only like 10 drafts in, but um, looking forward to playing a mix, I think, of of standard on Arena and draft on, on MTGO still. Yeah, and I, I may try that out again. I, I was going to do some drafting on Magic Li- Online. I mentioned this in our warm-up. Uh, but I screwed up trading. I hate trading. I just hate trading. That's why I like Arena so much, is I don't want to go trade cards. But I screwed up while I was doing it and ended up losing 10 cents and got frustrated and said, forget it, I'll just play Arena. It, and it's not the 10 cents. It's that it was the 10 cents and the five minutes of me figuring out how to do trading combined it just led to a, a, a bad experience. Yeah, it's so great on Arena where you can just go and click, 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 and you're done. And you're playing. Let's go. Yeah. I agree. So, standard. Um, what what tier are you in in standard? Are you silver? I think so, but I mean, isn't everybody? I mean, there's. I think you're mostly bronze or, or silver. I'm sure there's people that are higher than that. So, um, it, it it's kind of weird. So in the first few weeks where I wasn't, I was just kind of grinding out my quests and, and things like that. I was playing the two color starter decks, and those were fine, right in the low kind of bronze tiers and things like that but you couldn't take them into any of the competitive queues i found because usually you just got run over by teferi control and and things like that like very finely tuned decks so i must say that the 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 deck strength matchmaking seems to be doing well because the second that i built a deck out of a bunch of like cards that i had to make wild cards out or use wild cards on um you know i started to see myself face off against you know the teferis and and the Vraskas of the world and things like that so you know for for anybody out there that thinks that that is not a thing, that is definitely a thing. There is a lot of this deck strength matching that's going on, as well as kind of the ranking matching. So, you know, the the decks that we're going to talk about today, um, if if either you're not good at piloting them or that you don't have all of the cards to craft them, and you kind of build like, you know, half or, or three quarters versions of these, you know, 
Magic Arena will likely put you into a place where you are playing against decks or opponents that are of equal skill or equal power. And you're talking about um, on the ladder specifically. I'm talking specifically on the ladder. This doesn't apply to to the constructed events. Once you get in the constructed events, it's an entirely different story. So um, keep that in mind as as you're you know you're doing your constructed. But what have I what have I I found so far is that um, early on in in, in my free to play, and this is purely free to play. I spent five dollars on the welcome bundle. Um, I got a few packs for for doing the the streamer online event as, as all of us did. Um, you know, from a from a purely free to play model, um, I've found that my collection has been able to grow at a steady pace. Um, you know, it was pretty quick in the first week, and then after that, it kind of you know trailed off there. Um, and I've been able to you know pick a deck and upgrade it a few times, given the rewards that Magic Magic Arena has given me. Um, now, I might not be your typical free to play player in that I I always try to get my four wins or five wins minimum per day. Generally speaking, I go I go more than that. So I'm I'm earning close to maximum rewards, you know, four or five days out of the week, and then the other days I'm always getting my 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 easy four wins to get you know a lot of gold in a short amount of time. But I think the people that are saying that the economy sucks and we need a solution to the fifth card problem and and all that stuff, like there's probably some truth to that. But I think your average free to play player, um, and again, I know that I'm a little bit ahead of the average free to play player because of the extra packs that I got. You know, but you should be able to come up with a deck that you can grind the ladder with. Um, I would say f- quite easily. I, I would say that most free-to-play players should be able to have a deck by now or close, you know, being be close to a deck by now, um, strictly on their daily and weekly rewards and maybe doing the occasional draft here and there. I don't know what you found, but you do a lot of drafts, so I guess your experience is entirely different. But I think the na- the naysayers and the, and the haters about the free to play system, I think they get it wrong, and I think your first deck, you know, is relatively easy to to build, and it seems to be so far. And what we're going to do today is we're going to talk about four decks um, that a lot of players should be able to build with their collection, either from the starter decks um, plus a few wild cards, or even just potentially without any wild cards, depending on how lucky your pulls are. Yeah, I I would argue that I, I'm a bit ahead of a free to play player just because I'd invested money and gems to draft in the beta, which meant I got that refunded. But I do remember the experience from closed beta when there was no way to buy cards. You only started with what you started with. And uh, they gave us, what was it, five packs a week as we were playing to kind of help simulate that. I don't remember if it was five or three. It, It was some decent amount of packs, like a reasonable idea that you would buy. But even like before that started, I was able to piece to, I was able to do exactly what we're going to tell you you should do tonight, which is piece together the skeleton of a deck that I wanted to play and then upgrade the cards individually as I played. And honestly, that was a blast. I really enjoyed that. Like I'd randomly open, you know, the Phoenix. I was like, oh my God, I can put this right in my mono red deck. That's so cool. Or I'd open that wild card and be like, yeah, we're there. For me, once we came into open beta. I just drafted and played sealed for three weeks and then was like, Oh, I think I'm ready to try again. Ray was like, Hey, look at this deck. I was like, I could totally make that right now. So I did and started playing it and I've still got some wild cards left over so I can eventually try another. I've got my eye on that Jeskai control deck too. So how many wild cards did you have? Do you remember when you started building your deck? Like after all of your drafting and seals and things like that, do you remember how many mythics and rares you had sitting around? I think I had about twelve mythics, twenty-ish rares, 
God, it was probably more than that. I had infinite commons and uncommons. Like, I just can't craft enough of those. But mm-hmm. I'd opened the vault a few times. Like, after crafting it, I've still got three mythics left. And I haven't gotten any since I crafted this deck. I've opened some mythics, but I hadn't. I don't think I've got another mythic wild card. So right. I I probably had somewhere around 12 mythics. Okay. And I mean, and obviously that's like four or five drafts a day or sealed events per day for oh, weeks, right? Yeah, but I did use a lot of them to make a Nickel Bola Singleton deck. So okay. I probably had even more than that. The, the, to answer your question, how many did I have? I don't, I don't actually know. <laughs> okay. But you didn't spend a ton, right? You still got a lot of gems sitting around there, right? So like, oh, yeah. I mean, obviously you're, you're a high percentage win rate player. Mm-hmm. But I think I think what this indicates is that the, the the top players, the good players, like we're talking like sixty five percent plus win rate, um, you know, sh- you should be able to enjoy both sides of the game for, you know, fifty dollars, sixty dollars. I would say, does that seem about reasonable per expansion? Yeah, yeah, probably less. Honestly, like you 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 kind of need about that much here to build a deck. But we're building off of what like three sets. Mm-hmm. I, I bet it's going to be significantly less because like when, you know, the next Ravnica set comes out, I don't have to build a whole deck. I'm going to have a lot of the pieces. Mm-hmm. And you're still going to draft and things like that, right? So yeah. I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know, we always talk about going infinite. Um, and obviously that, that's that's impossible to do on Magic Arena. But I think the if you look at it from a, how much did I play for every dollar that I put in, I think somebody like you is obviously way ahead of the curve. Um, but I think that gives, you know, that that's hopeful for people that, you know, maybe just play on the weekend, maybe they're 55% win rate player or something like that, is that, you know, they can leverage the fact that they don't play that often, use their gold, you know, doing their quests and things like that to get into drafts, um, and maybe spend a little bit of dollars here and there to to try to bolster their collection and, and build that that deck. So I think it's interesting that somebody like you that, you know, does a lot of drafts and seals and things like that, that you still haven't spent a ton of money relatively speaking like i see your gem total every once in a while it still seems up there and somebody like me who i've only spent five dollars um and i got my my pre-release sealed so i guess if you want to count that i spent 35 dollars um you know and i'm also doing quite well for myself so i think i think both sides of, of the coin can succeed in magic arena and i think that given time i think we'll see what happens when the next set comes out i think given time um, I think we'll see that this is probably an okay economy with some tweaks for the, you know, the, the fifth card problem and things like that. I, I absolutely think it is. I mean, if, if you want to have the, the, the brand new standard deck immediately, you're going to have to buy the cards. If you don't, you're willing to grind it out. By all means, grind it out. You, you can win the gold, get in the events. Um, I, I mean, I got a triple mythic uh, open on a competitive constructed queue today after we got five wins. And like two of them were actually ones I was interested in for decks. It's like cool. We're using these. I think the the one thing that does bother me, and there's really no way around this, and this is this is just this is just the thing that's going to happen is that you know you can look at a budget deck on on MTG Goldfish. They have a great budget deck section, or they have a great section where you can see the the cost breakdown of all of these decks in paper or online, and you can go find a super cheap deck online on Magic Online. And it costs like 10 bucks on Magic Online. And then you look at it and it's got like 28 rares. And you're like, these are all like 5 cent rares and I can't buy them for 5 cents on Arena. I think that's the only thing that has bothered me, but there's really no way around it. And I I think that's, you know, I I just have to suck that up. And that experimentation is kind of lost that you can do on Magic Online where you can go on there and you can buy all these bulk rares that you might be able to use in a deck. And then if you don't want them, you just incinerated like $5. 
you know, on Magic Arena, that's a lot more money to do that. Um, but I think I, th- I think what you do there instead is when you earn these cards and you get a wild card that's something you want to build around, I think that is how you lead yourself into new decks instead of just going and fi- finding a budget deck somewhere, you know, dropping down $10, trying it, finding out it sucks. I think you want to go the other way where when you receive the cards from a pack or from a, an ICR uh, a reward card that is when you go in that direction and try to make that deck i would argue that budget decks just have a different meaning in arena because what Mm -hmm. we're really talking about isn't a a american dollars or you know canadian dollars amount that you're going to spend it's how many wild cards are you going to use so something like the the mono blue tempo deck that i face some in the queues is a pretty good budget deck because like it's not really playing that many rares so you can craft that deck relatively simply and you could like that one's very easy to throw together on arena for somebody that's starting out. Whereas like a budget deck actually means taking that tier one deck and then replacing some pieces with what you have. And then you can decide if you like the deck and then upgrade it and make it better either by playing and earning those rewards or just being like, you know what? I'm going to drop 20 bucks and we're going to get those last few wild cards and, and finish this thing off. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to do a little bit of a plug here for um, MTG Arena Pro, which is the website that I've been using to track my collection. They recently added a feature where um, you can look at decks and it'll tell you, um, you know, it used to just tell you how many wild cards you needed to spend on that. So based on your collection. So you look at a deck and it's like, you know, you it has 26 total rares and you have six of them. So you need 20 rares. Um, it'll also tell you how many rare wild cards you have in your collection and then it'll estimate the number of boosters you need to open in order to finish that deck. So I can go on there and I can see, like, I want to play Selesnya Tokens. That looks awesome. And then I can look at it and it says, well, you need, like, eight Mythics. And that's going to cost you about 150 boosters. And you can be like, hmm, that's a lot of money. Let's just maybe find a different version of the deck or maybe find a different deck to play. But it's really cool because ever since the, they added the... The, the wheel, the wildcard wheel, right, where every six packs you open gets you um, an uncommon or a rare or a, a mythic or whatever, depending on where you are in the cycle. Um, you can you can estimate the amount it's going to cost you to build any given deck or to get any specific wildcard, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool. And people might argue about, you know, how much money that is costing you and how much value you're getting out of it because you're buying this digital project. But that that's not the point. The point is that it's known, right? If I want today to go and get my mythic wild card it's going to cost me 24 packs or 12 packs or wherever i'm at in the cycle i know how much i'm going to spend on that so if i really want to do that and then obviously that doesn't factor in you know opening up random wild cards or the card that you need or whatever um so i think that's a really cool feature of that is that you can go and see exactly how much these things are going to cost you but it's interesting that you know a card like you know Slesnia tokens it le- like leans heavily on mythics is something that might not be in the the arena or the the meta on arena whereas on magic online it might be wild you know rampant wild because everybody has enough and the the mythics are super cheap on on there and you might see decks like mono blue tempo like you just mentioned because it's super cheap right four rares or something like that to build that might make up more of the meta on arena and i think that's interesting to see where we're at right now and i would love to see statistics on like 5-0 competitive decks or 7-0 you know quick constructed decks um to see kind of what the split of these decks look like because i think it's i think it's wildly different probably between arena and between magic online and i don't think that's the skill of the player i think that's just the nature of how many decks you can realistically have in arena yeah 
Yeah, agree. So let's talk about some decks. Um, I've seen a lot of really cool decks in the um, the best of three ladder. I'm sure that the con- the competitive queue is slightly different, um, but I got I got dredged out yesterday. I faced that one. Yeah, you you faced the Narcomiba. I faced a deck that was playing Narcomibas. Now you told me about what you faced, and that was not what I faced. But I did play a deck that was dredging heavily, uh, focusing on. The Minfermoto preview card, Menagerie, Grissom Menagerie, uh, to get us. And th- that was pretty cool. But tell, tell me about what you got hit with. Okay, I, this isn't really dredge. This is more like a self-mill. So it's mono blue self-mill playing Creeping Chill. So that's three and a black for the sorcery. If you ex- If you discard it from the top of your library into your graveyard, you can get its effect for three, which drains you for three, drains your opponent for three. And the Phoenix, the three in a red Mythic Phoenix, the 3-2, that if you cast three instants or sorceries, you put it into play at the beginning of combat. And it has haste. And it has plays Narcomibas and things like that. So the idea behind this deck, as far as I could tell, I mean, it, it beat me fairly handily because I played very poorly, is to just, using jumpstart cards, or the, the wand of, the, the vertebrae wand, Yeah, the, it's a, it's a, uncommon in guilds of ravnica that nobody plays in in limited tap to put the top card of your library into your graveyard that's basic and then you can exile it or whatever and shuffle a bunch of cards back but the idea is is that they discard these cards to to jumpstart or mill them off the top of their library and then they get all these phoenixes in play and they're like okay i'm gonna play radical idea radical idea maximum maximize velocity or whatever the the blue card the make gives it flying in plus one plus one and all of a sudden you've got three hasty birds coming at you plus a three three narcomoeba and you got to deal with that and then once you deal with it because they just drew so many cards off their cantrips they're just going to kill you again the next turn that sounds like fun it was really it was really cool and it's like you have these counter spells so i'm playing is it control and i've got all these counter spells and it's like well what do i counter I counter the Phoenix, it goes into the graveyard. They're not even casting the Phoenix. I can't even counter it. I counter the Jumpstart cards. It doesn't matter. It counts as a spell that was cast this turn. They're just going to cast it again from the graveyard. Um, I, I could syncopate their stuff. It's all so cheap that I can't syncopate it realistically unless it's like the third spell that they've cast. And then by that time, all their cards are coming at me anyway. So it was really quite interesting. The only way that I found to beat it is to make sure that I have Lava Coils and exile those things and then just hope that they don't burn me out with the 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 sorcery the black sorcery so it's mono blue splashing for things that they can't cast that's so weird is really cool is a really cool deck but there's so many of these cool decks right like i've seen golgari dredge i've seen the golgari midrange i've seen is it drakes i've seen is it control jeskai control mono blue tempo mono red like green white tokens mono white tokens mono white knights like i've seen all of these things that people are putting together and they all seem playable. Yeah. Yeah. Which I've is, been, su- which is... I would say oh. I've been surprised at how much of a fight some decks that I thought initially were a gimmick or silly were able to put up. And I think it's just a sign of something that's balanced somewhere in here is the best build of the best deck. We just don't know what it is yet. And that's a, mm-hmm. that's actually a really fun time to play standard. I agree. And like, we're not going to see a lot of these decks, at the pro tour, obviously speaking, and once the Pro Tour is done, we're going to see, you know, a couple of meta decks probably rise to the surface. But I think Arena will always have that place where people have have their pet deck and they don't have enough wild cards to make something else. 
and I think that will like, keep the flame alive for a lot of these decks. So I think it's I think it's really cool to see. Well, there's also the issue if if you're a free to play player and you've crafted one of them and it turns out to be the second best deck, but you know it really well and you don't have the wild cards for the best deck. Guess that's what you're playing now. Mm-hmm. You just kind of hope that people don't sideboard or, or main deck for your matchup. Yeah, I think, I think that would be the worst. But so let's talk about. I've got three decks here, and you've got one deck. I think you want to talk about. Mm-hmm. So let's start with uh, Mono Blue Temple. And what we're going to do is I'll, I'll send you all the links. You can put them in the the show notes. Yes, email them to me. Okay. I will do that. So um, we'll, we'll give you the list to the MTG Goldfish. All of these decks that I'm going to talk about are. Um, curated from the MTGO competitive leagues. These are 5-0 decks at some point in the last week and a half. So the first budget, quote-unquote budget deck I want to talk about, and actually we should talk about those restrictions. So what restrictions did we put on the budget, quote-unquote, decks? You told me that I could spend three Mythics. Um, I wrote it down somewhere. Here it is. Three Mythics, three Rares, 15 Uncommons, and as many Common Wild Cards as I wanted. Okay. So we're going to start with Mono Blue Tempo, which is a deck you've played against. I've played with it, or sorry, against it. I've not played with it. Um, this list is was kind of early in the format. It seemed to be like a front runner for like an early aggressive deck um, that could do well. I don't know, think it's put up many results in Paper Magic, but online it seems to be a force week to week or day to day whenever they post their results. So I think it's 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 good. Reading about the deck, the research that I put into this, it seems like this is a tough deck to pilot. And on the surface, you look at it and it looks like just, well, it's it's an aggressive deck or it's a tempo deck, right? How, what can be so hard about it? It seems like you knowing the matchup and knowing when to kind of go for it seems to be the, the idea behind this deck and why it can be challenging for some players. So the idea is, is you have um, a bunch of cheap or unblockable creatures. Um, there's a flash creature in there. So you've got Miscloak Herald, which is unblockable, Siren Storm Tamer, which is a flyer, Night Veil Sprite, which is a flyer, War Cape Marauder, which is also a flyer, things like that. And you're leaning on uh, cheap creatures backed up by hex, some hexproof and counterspells. So you've got some dive downs, uh, spell pierces, essence scatters, wizards retorts, things like that. Um, Tempest Gin is kind of your bomb, if you want to put it that way. Um, so obviously you're playing as many islands as possible and you're not playing anything else. It's mono blue. Um, and then you have four Curious Obsessions in here to try to get some card advantage um, and, and push through some extra damage. So when this deck beats you, assuming that it does, how does it beat you? They beat me by when they have a Siren Storm Tamer in play, basically setting an island aside over to the left and never tapping it and never using it. Because when I beat that deck, it's because they tap out for a Tempest Gen on turn three. And I'm like, oh, sweet. I'm killing everything. Uh, whereas if they leave two islands up and they've got a Storm Tamer and a Spell Pierce in hand, they're not getting me. So the the thing is, they want to get like one, maybe two threats in play and then hold up counters and try to race. And the Merfolk Tricksters that are in there, that's uh, blue-blue for a 2-2 flash. When it enters the battlefield, tap something, it loses its abilities. I've had people get me with my um, Explore dudes that gain life. And they're like, nope, you're not gaining any life or any counters. Or they'll just use it to like stop you from attacking with something and or blocking with something so that they can turn a race around. So like having that up, if you don't have to use a counter spell, I think is crucial. So it's trying to, to land a one drop or a two drop, maybe stick an aura on it if you've got one, but then protect it at all costs. Mm-hmm. So this deck is pretty close to the budget that we set out. Um, it doesn't cost any mythics, but it does cost six uh, rare wild cards. So I went over budget on the on the rare side of things. 
Um, what you could do is you could shave off the two Warkite Marauders for um, maybe a couple of flyers that go in that spot. Um, I'm, I'm trying to think of off the top of my head what you could put in the... I think it's a it's a two-drop. I'm trying to think of what you could put in the two-drop. There's a two-drop pirate that gains flying when it attacks. Mm. That works perfectly. That that works perfectly in that spot. So what you're doing then is you're just buying the, the four gins. And the number of uncommons you need if you're not sideboarding um, is actually quite low. So discounting the cards that you start with in your collection if you've collected all 10 of the, the new player decks... Uh, 8, 9, 10, 11 uncommons, and then the four gins, again, over by one, but no mythics. And again, you probably want to upgrade to get your Warkite Marauders at some point in there. So when we're talking budget, that is super budget. You should have four rare wild cards fairly early if you're starting like today. Um, you probably have four rare wild cards by the time you have all of your new player decks. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, on, on a scale of 1 to 10... You know, as excite like this is not a very exciting deck to play. It seems to be good. It puts up deck like I said. It puts up results on Magic Online. Um, I can beat it quite handily usually when I play against it. Um, but I also kind of know all of the tricks because I've played it so many times. Um, but it, it used to get me when I didn't have kind of a tuned deck. So I think this is probably a good deck for um, an advanced player to try to play. Um, if you're not an advanced player and you still want to play it, you know stick to the stick to the free-to-play cues until you get it figured out and figure out all your matchups i would say you're also going to win some games where your opponent stumbles right and like mm -hmm. that's something you'll have as an aggro deck just it, again if you're a newer player like dave's saying try to recognize the value of holding up that protection for your threats because like that's that's how they get you is they have a ritual of soot on turn four so kind of knowing what people are going to sideboard against you and what will get you and when to hold up spell pierce and when not to is a, a big part of success for that deck yeah. And if you're a free to play player and you're trying to maximize your time, you know, being able to capitalize when your opponent stumbles is the perfect deck for you. Yeah. So like the aggressive style decks or the, the, where you're just turning creatures sideways or you're trying to keep your opponent by bouncing their creatures or whatever, um, you know, that that is the way you want to play if you're limited, if you only play on the weekends, or you play twice a week or whatever. You know, if you're a free to play player, I can't stress this enough. Your goal should be four wins per day every day that you're playing. If you're not playing every day, that's fine. But I think what you want to be doing to maximize, you know, your your returns for your minimum amount of time is logging in every three days, doing your quests, and getting at least four wins every three days. I think if you do that and then mix in a draft every once in a while, I think that is maximizing your free-to-play experience if you can't play every day. So moving on then, so we've got Mono Blue Tempo. We're going to stick with the Mono Color decks. Um, and I think... This is a, a common deck that is, you know, it's been around since the start of time, as far as magic is concerned. It's it's mono red. Mm -hmm. There are a lot of different variations of this deck, and every time a set rotates out, you get a new variation of this mono red deck. Sometimes it doesn't last very long. Sometimes it's only during the first week, first couple of weeks while people are still figuring things out. Um, lately, mono red has kind of been staying around longer. Um, in the last format, there was a lot of mono red decks that did very well. And I think this might not quite be the same, but we, they did get a lot of cool cards, um, namely Risk Factor and Experimental Frenzy, both of which are rares, that could really turn a mono red deck, you know, into a card drawing powerhouse, um, which is kind of where it's, it's struggled in the past. So um, this deck, again, put up five O's on Magic Online. Um, it runs the Rekindling Phoenix. It runs 
Runaway Steamkins, Chain Whirlers. These are all rares, which is unfortunate. So I'm blowing my budget, but I do have substitutions. Uh, Risk Factors and Experimental Frenzies. And then your uncommons are Wizard's Lightning and everything else are things that you own. So you start with one Phoenix. Uh, so you need to buy one Phoenix, which is one Mythic. And then this is four, eight, 12 rares, which is way blowing my budget. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to substitute a bunch of these things. Now, the goal of a mono red deck is to A, be hyper aggressive and attack, attack, attack. Um, and B, also try to put up enough threats that your opponent can't deal with all of them. So early versions of this red deck, um, when I was playing against them in kind of the first couple of weeks of the format, were running things like Goblin Instigators, um, which is a two drop that makes two one one tokens. So you can cut your runaway steamkins and put these goblin instigators in in that slot. And obviously your power level is going down, but you're still getting, you know, two creatures, two power, two toughness on the board for two mana. So I think you can you can get some value there. Uh, Chain whirlers probably got to stay around. Yeah, it gets you three of them. Yeah, I would say at least three of them. Um, and and the reason they need to stick around is you know they they still kill elves right. Sometimes there's token strategies kicking around. Um, but also just 3-3 three, three first strike is just too good. Um, and unless your opponent's playing Golgari, like I think you usually got a pretty good matchup there. The the risk factors and experimental frenzies, I think these cards, they make the deck really shine because of the card advantage you can get or the extra damage you can get. But I have seen people play the Flame of Keld at this spot, which is an uncommon. Um, and... It's obviously not as powerful, but it does have this upside of potentially doing extra damage when you play a Chain Whirler or when you Lightning Bolt your opponent's face or something like that, right? So um, so you can spend a couple of Uncommons instead of the Rares on Risk Factor and Experimental Frenzy. Just keep in mind that you're probably going to want some mix of Risk Factor and Experimental Frenzy, depending on what the flavor of the week is. Um, and then, like I said, I think you need that Phoenix too. So if you just spend the three Rare Wild Cards on the Chain Whirlers and a phoenix and kind of fill in these other cards with you know the 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 substitutions here that i've mentioned um another potential substitution is maybe goblin banneret which is a one drop that you can pump um for one and a red to give it plus two plus zero that can be a really aggressive one drop um and maybe can also get some mentors on your other creatures too so i think you know spending like eight wild cards or 12 wild cards some commons and three rares i think you can get a playable version of this deck maybe a five out of ten but it's something you can steal some free wins with in, in the in the latter. I played against a version today that seemed to have, um, I think it was only one Legion War Boss in it. And I'm guessing that they opened that while they were drafting and put it in there in the Chain Whirler spot. And it performed just fine in that deck. So like we're saying that you can only use so many wild cards or whatever. If you've got more, by all means use them. But as you're looking for replacements, we're going to try to find you ones that are common or uncommon so you can craft them. But look through the stuff you've opened. And if you've got a three drop, that's not a chain whirler, but looks pretty good. Maybe try it out and see if you like it. Yeah. Just jam it in, right? Like, you know, you've got a ton of red three drops, find ones that get you some kind of value either on enter the battlefield. Um, You know, I've considered playing the, um, you know, you can't play Chupacabras in this deck, but you can play the Goblin that that nugs something for one or two damage, depending on how many Goblins you have in play, mm-hmm. right? Like maybe maybe playing that is is something good that you could play in, in a four drop spot or something like that. So, um, and also pay attention to kind of what your opponents are playing, because if you face down a mono red deck and they play something that you're like, oh man, like I totally forgot Flame of Keld was a thing when I was looking at this deck, and I'm like, you know, how do I replace Risk Factor? How do I replace Experimental Frenzy? And then all of a sudden, my opponent played Flame of Keld, and I'm like 
that's actually kind of great. <laughs> it it makes risk factor a little bit better, which is kind of funny. Um, and then it also makes kind of just all your creatures just bigger threats. So it can be a dangerous card. Um, and, and, and I think that's really cool. But, you know, like, I think the, the cool thing that I like about Arena is that cards pull me in certain directions when I open them. And, and I, and I like that, like if I'd opened a bunch of chain whirlers or something like that, it's like, man, I'd, I'd be all over this deck. I want to play this deck. Instead, I opened a bunch of visit cards. And so now I'm kind of playing, playing that deck. And I think that's really cool that, that, you know, those cards can kind of direct you. And I think that's a really unique experiment experience. And it kind of reminds me of paper magic. Yeah. Right. Like people that only buy 10 packs a set or 15 packs a set or something like that. Like they just go draft twice and it's like, this is really cool. You know, you're building from a limited collection and maybe going and supplementing that collection with a couple of online purchases. So, um, it, it really kind of, it's really cool. It's unfortunate that I'm not a very good deck builder because, <laughs> because I think I'd like to experiment with that kind of stuff, but like, you know, it, it's still pretty cool to look at a deck and, and see, you know, how close am I, am, am, am I to building this deck and what, what kind of decks can I build with experiment um, or, or explosion? Sorry. Um, and, uh, and I think it's really cool. So, so you played a lot of mono red in the previous version previous format, right? Like in, in closed beta. I did. What kind of tips do you have for people that are going to get in with a mono red deck? Well, first I want to mention why I played mono red. Uh, the, the structuring then uh, was all about how fast can you win your 15 games a day? Uh, Mono Red did not have the highest win rate, but man, could it get games over quickly. So back in the day, it was all best of one. So like, that's why I decided to craft it. But a, a, a big tip, I, I've often said, a lot of people will, will say like Mono Red or Aggro decks are brainless and stupid. And then other people will complain that, you know, control decks are boring. It's like, I, I think it's neat that people identify with these cards so much. But the, the thing to recognize is when you're playing a control deck, you're going to make... 25 decisions and five of them don't matter. Like you could flip a coin to decide which creature to kill or whether you should draw a card or not cycle the thing. And it just doesn't make any difference in the game. When you're playing mono red, you're only going to make five decisions, but if you get any of them wrong, you lose the game on the spot. Right? So think through your turns. Don't just be like, Oh, they played this thing. I've got a shock. I can kill it. Like look at their life total. Think about what happens if you swing your team and they kill everybody but take three points of damage and then you've got the shock and the lightning strike in hand. So that's my biggest thing is like, you're not going to have to make as many decisions. And by that, when I mean you have a hand that you know goes one, two, three, you don't have to think about that. Play the banneret into the Vyashino Pinger, into the Chain Whirler. Just do the thing, you win the game. But when it comes to those points where you do have a decision to make, make that decision. Also, if they play anything that can gain them life and you can kill it, do it immediately. I don't care if you 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 got a gut feeling they don't have any explore cards in hand. You gotta kill that wild growth walker right now. Throw away two creatures to do it if you have to. Just get the thing dead. I, I kind of picture a mono red player, you know, looking at twenty life total and thinking like piece of cake, and then the second that goes up to twenty one, it's like hands up, it's like impossible, I can't win anymore. Yep. Okay, so it's probably not a deck for me, um, but there's definitely somebody out there that likes a mono red deck. I highly recommend that if, uh, you know, like I said, the version is probably not nearly as good, the budget version, um, but I think you can upgrade it. And I think cards like Experimental Frenzy and Risk Factor will be standard staples in a deck like this for a while to come. So I think those are kind of um, 
you know, easy wins when it comes to crafting, if you're looking at, at getting maximum value out of your cards. And I would argue and, and want to point out to you, dear listener, that what we're doing here is not trying to tell you what the best deck is. What we're trying to do is, is give you a roadmap to getting to the deck you want to play as a free-to-play player. If you've got all of the wild cards to just make whatever you want, by all means, go make it, right? If you don't, we can kind of point you towards these decks as a good starting place. I'm sure we've got, I know I've got people in the chat when I'm streaming, and I'm sure we have some listeners here that have just never played Standard before and are relatively new to Magic. And this is a great way to explore that. You're getting choked up. It's so sad that all your little stream viewers are growing up. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. But like, you know, people that have never played standard, it's really daunting and they don't know where to start. And you might even have like, you know, an aversion to spending your wild cards. I know I've heard I do, a lot of people sure. talk about that. Yeah. Right. Like I, I really don't want to spend my wild cards, but like having a plan and having a deck that I can get to, I think really helps me kind of spend those wild cards. So why don't you talk about your deck and then I'll, I'll finish off with, with my last deck that I'm running. So this is a deck that you're running in actual competitive queues, but you obviously built a budget version of this. I did. So my buddy Ray um, came in and said, hey, here's a deck, a friend of mine who's qualified for the pre PT put together. See what you think of it. And I looked at it and I was immediately drawn to it and wanted to play it. Uh, there's a lot of different versions of Golgari decks now from ones that are trying to be aggressive and use uh, Gruesome Menagerie to buy back value and stuff. But this is kind of your basic mid-range Golgari deck. Uh, the highlights of this particular version that may be a little different from the ones you've seen, they've all got three Vraska Relics, Relic Seeker in them. This one's playing three Vivian Reed, uh, which has been fantastic main deck for me. Uh, there's just a lot of enchantments, artifacts, and flyers that you want to kill. It's playing three Find and Finalities. Those have also been fantastic as just a six-mana board wipe or two-mana buyback a couple Chupacabras. Like, the Chupacabras are everywhere. Um, and my version has eventually gotten to where it's running two Death's Gorge Scavengers main, which initially doesn't seem like it would make a lot of sense. Uh, but I'm actually thinking about going up to three because against Mono Red and the Mono Blue Tempo deck, I'm interested in gaining life. And I'm going to get two life when I play the thing. And then if I get to attack with it, two more, which is fantastic. Against control decks, it's it's at least a threat. And I have been able to play it and nab a jumpstart card while they were tapped out, which was kind of a big deal. It doesn't shrink drakes. So like it's not doing that for you, uh, but it can eat a few relevant things out of their graveyard. I've also taken turns out of them transforming a search for Ascanta just by nomming stuff out of their graveyard. So I found that card to be actually quite good. Um, and I've just had a lot of fun playing with it. It's it's looking to accrue value by playing Explore Creatures so that you're able to hit your land drops, uh, play Ravenous Chupacabras for removal, and then try to leverage those Planeswalkers into a win. It's also playing two of the uh, Golgari... Uh, what's the Turbo? Fine Broker. That's the name of it. Two of those. Oh, the yeah, and th those are just great. Like, I've bought back Planeswalkers with them. It has two Memorials to Folly in it. So, like, you can play the Vine Broker, get back a Memorial, trade it off, then, you know, use the Memorial to get it and, like, have a million infinite loops with it. Uh, and I, I've just had a blast with it. I've got Carnage Tyrants in the sideboard. Um, and it, I also had Plague Crafters main deck for a long time. Those are surprisingly good against just about everybody, too. I ended up moving mine to the side... Um, but I, I like, like they get planeswalkers, man. 
like I love it when the opponent taps out for a row, pluses it, and then I'm just like play crafter, sack my one two that was laying around, attack you for five. Whereas they're thinking they're you know going to gain three life off of it and get to draw two cards. Like that's not what's happening. Yeah, as a play crafter seems pretty good too, even against control. Like I've or uh, you know me being the control player, I've had people play crafter like my one card in hand or two cards in hand and try to give me. Make me make a tough decision on what do I do because I'm going to be discarding a card here, right? Yeah. yeah. So I've been playing this in the competitive constructive cues, and I, I wanted to kind of talk about what I did as I built the budget version of this with the constraints that Dave gave me. And then I did run that through some of the free-to-play ladder, and the deck works. Now, I don't think that this budget version is the best deck that you could possibly make, but if you want to get yourself to a Golgari mid-range deck, this is a great place to start. So the first thing I noticed is that all of the explore creatures that I'm playing are uncommons, which is a problem if I don't have that many uh, uncommon uh, wild cards. However, there is Ixali's Diviner, which is an O3 with explore, and it's a common. That's not as good as Seeker Squire, because Seeker Squire is always going to at least have some power and sometimes be a 2-3. However, Diviner is good enough. Because really, you're not playing that 2-drop to trade it off or have a 2-3. You're mainly playing it so you can get a body on the board and then hit your land drops. And this card does that just just as well. Um, For the Mythics, because we didn't have many to spend, Dave said I could only have three. So I spent them for my budget version on two Vivian Reeds. Because honestly, blowing up enchantments and flyers has been huge. Like, they tap out for Niv-Mizzet. Like, well, I guess you're going to have to cast a spell. At least I'll get a card. Like, nah, dog. I'm just going to play my Planeswalker, kill your Niv-Mizzet, and then I'm going to draw cards for a couple turns. So good. I spent it on one Vraska Relic Seeker. And I also put one Vraska Golgari Queen in there because you played in the beta, right? You've got one for free. You -hmm. should at least. So I cheated a little bit and got four in there. No, I think that's totally within the spirit because I think there were a lot of closed closed beta players there. Now, this will tell you how much I value this card. I spent all three of my rare wild cards that Dave gave me on Find and Finality. I think that's a key card for this version of that deck. That meant that I didn't have four Jade Light Rangers. So instead, I put in Tashana's Wayfinder. Uh, 3-3. Which is a common 3-3. It, well, it's a 2-2 or a 3-3. Mm-hmm. It's not as good. But I will tell you, there have been times where I couldn't cast Jade Light Ranger because I didn't have double green. That will never happen to you with Tashana's Wayfinder. Again, not as good, but it does get the job done. For the lands, I just played the tap lands. So instead of the rare lands that I had, Overgrown Tomb and uh, Foul... Woodland Cemetery? Woodland Cemetery. I put in Foul Orchard and Golgari Guildgate. No problem there. Um, I I couldn't port my Vraska's... um, Contempt, is that what it is? Removal spell? Yeah, I couldn't port those over. So it's like, you know what? We'll just play Murder. That's not as good. It doesn't hit Planeswalkers, but we're building a budget version. Mm -hmm. Then then we kind of got to the fun part, where it's like, I'm missing two Planeswalkers. Really three, if you think about it, because I want three Vraskas and three Vivians. So I need to find three cards that kind of act like Planeswalkers, and that they're hard to answer and accrue advantage over time. And I found them. They are one Carnage Tyrant, main deck, because you start with one. One Tinder Shoot Dryad, main deck. That's a lot like a Planeswalker. And you start with one. And you start with one. 
and one Twilight Prophet. Ah. Which, again, if I'm building the perfect Golgari mid-range deck, these, th- those last two cards aren't in it. We can argue about whether you should be main decking a Carnage Tyrant or not. The fact that you already have one, if you're building this deck, means you should be main decking a Carnage Tyrant. But those last two, the Tendershoot Dryad and the Twilight Prophet, they're not Planeswalkers, and they're vulnerable to a lot of things that Planeswalkers aren't. But they're both cards that if you play them and your opponent doesn't kill them, you're going to begin to accrue advantage over time, uh, which is a big part of what this deck is trying to do anyway. So that was kind of fun to look through the cards that I started with and say, what could I put in here? I also put two Eldest Reborn in the budget version, whereas I was only playing one in my version. Um, But there are versions of this that are playing two anyway. And I was able to get a, a pretty darn good competitive budget deck. The only thing I was really missing were those Jade Light Rangers. So, like, as soon as you get the rare cards to upgrade your lands, do your lands first. Um, the 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 Shock Lands and the Buddy Lands are way better than any other rare in the set. Just being able to cast your spells is huge without having to rely on those tap lands all the time. But once you have those, get the Jade Light Rangers next. They're a big deal. And then obviously, as soon as you get the Mythics, upgrade those to the, the Vivians and the Vraskas. But I, I was really happy with the budget version. I played it like five games. I didn't want to sit there and grind with it because like I've got the good deck. I, I wanted to play that. But I played it enough to make sure it wasn't just terrible. Uh, and I, I won some games. I lost some games. I lost some games because some of these cards were worse versions of the cards I should have had. And that's going to happen to you if you make these budget decks. But again, it's a way to kind of dip your toe in here, start playing the deck, and then if you like it, you can upgrade it along the way. Yeah. And I even think you start with one of those buddy lands, too. You do. So like, so that's one less rare wild card that you have to spend on your lands, which the, the out of this experiment that we've gone through, the rare wild cards seem to be the bottleneck right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, not a lot of decks use a lot of mythics, but definitely any multicolor deck is spending eight rare wild cards on land usually, or four to eight somewhere, depending on what your colors are. So, um, so, so it's tough, right? Like rares are going to be your, your sink. So, and that's where, you know, making sure you do your weekly quests to, to get your packs come into play, right? Because you're getting more and more of these wild cards. It is, but it's not as bad as it used to be because the budget versions of this, we've got tap lands. You can just Mm -hmm. play those. Whereas in the past, some of those rare lands were like creature lands. Like they were core components of the deck. Like if you didn't have, um, I I can't remember the names of any of these. There's a black... Celestial Colonnade. Celestial Colonnade if you go back far enough. But even in recent memory, I played a black-white control deck on Moto that used the um, lifelink black-white land. And -hmm. if you didn't have those, that deck wasn't going to work. Because a big part of it was being able to block with that and still have a removal spell up or be able to attack with it and gain some life in a control mirror when the coast was clear. I won a lot of games off of that rare land. Uh, So like the fact that you don't have to have them, you are hurting your deck. You're going to be a turn behind when you're playing these tap lands in a lot of places. However, it's not crippling that you're missing them. Yeah, I like that. I, I might have to try that deck out. I'm going to see what kind of cards I have there. I'm going to look at your list and uh, and see what I can do, see if I can actually actually play that. So the deck that I'm running, and this is neat because the cards, this is purely dictated by the cards that I opened. Um, I started with um, kind of an is it, a, not not an aggressive deck, but it certainly wasn't a control deck. Um, probably a mid-range deck is, is the best way to, 
to call it where I was running eight drakes. And actually, it's funny. I saw a list on Reddit that was calling a deck similar to that, and they just called it eight drake instead of eight rack, which is really fun. Um, it was running, you know, four crackling drakes, four uh, enigma drakes, then just like a bunch of spells, chemistries, insights, ops. It ran a bane fire because I started with one. Um, it ran a niv mizzet because I opened one. It opened a. I had a ralzeric because I had one in my beta collection. And it ran Expansion Explosion because I opened one in my first sealed pool. Um, and I enjoyed it, but it was it was not great. Like, I could I could get my daily wins. You know, sometimes it was frustrating. If I took it into any kind of queue, I got beat down by Teferi and it sucked. So as I was looking through decks, I think it was last week, um, I came across um, an Is It Control deck that um, I happen to have a bunch of cards for. So... I'll post the link to this one, but the, the summary of the deck is you play four Electromancers and four Crackling Drakes. Those are your creatures. Um, and then you play 28 spells and a search for Iskanta. You play uh, a Banefire and two Fight with Fires and two Expansion Explosions, which are damage to the face usually um, at some point. And by the way, Banefire being uncounterable is just fantastic. Kind of That's a big deal. It's my favorite thing to do with this deck. It's like you can see the wind coming three turns away and your opponent can't do anything about it, and it's great. Um, it plays four ionize, which the only reason I'm I'm playing this deck is because I just happen to have four ionize. I have no idea where they came from. I maybe I opened some in sealed, maybe I opened some as ICRs, I don't remember, but I'm I'm looking at them like, where did these come from? I'm gonna play with these. Um and then it runs like a you know, bunch of lightning strikes, there's a syncopate, there's a couple of shiv and fires in here and things like that so um the non-budget version you know doesn't use a ton of rares and mythics unless you're including your sideboard but sticking to the the spirit of of the challenge here my budget version uh cuts the ionizes for basically any counter spell in that spot um you know you can run the the three mana surveil counter spell in the spot sinister sabotage Yes, it's harder to cast, believe it or not, um, because of, of being double blue. Um, you're more likely to have red and blue on, on turn three. Um, and it doesn't do the two damage, which is kind of big deal. Um, but it, but it, it can fill in in a pinch. Um, then you don't play any of the rare lands, which also makes the deck a little bit difficult to run. I don't think you run all seven tap, tap lands, because um, you, you do start with a sulfur falls you can play. I think you probably want to run a mix of tap lands and untap lands because you really want to make sure that you're hitting your second land drop for an Electromancer or your third land drop for um, potentially Chemistry's Insight if you've already played an Electromancer. So you want those untapped lands where possible. But you also want to make sure you hit double red, double blue for Crackling Drake. That's also very important. Um, the and, and that's basically it. So what you end up crafting is you craft two Expansion Explosions um, and... Uh, search for Iskanta. You can craft a Niv-Mizzet if you want, if you're playing best of ones, but I think that's that's in the sideboard in best of threes usually. Um, so those are your three rares. Yeah, those are your three rares. You start with a Banefire. And then um, for your Mythic, I would play a Ral, but again, that's sideboard in a best of three right now for me. Um, you can main deck it if you're playing best of ones, and I think it would be good there. So super budget from that perspective. Um Uncommons is a bit of a pinch, um, but I think you, sh you should have enough where you have to buy your four drakes, two lava coils, and four chemistry's insights. Um, and then the rest you either start with or you can kind of fill in. Um, you know, for example, if you don't want to play... 
trying to think of what uh, an uncommon here. If you don't have, if you don't, well, the lava, lava coils I said you want to make, lightning strikes I think are uncommon. Um, you start with enough lightning strikes, for example. Fight with fires are an uncommon. Um, you're going to want to craft those, but I think you might actually start with those as well. So it's really actually cheap on the uncommon side as well, unless you start to get into the sideboard. The, the best part about this deck is just throwing uncounterable spells at your opponent's face, or when you're playing a control <laughs> mirror, and like you wait for them to tap out for their chemistry's insight, and you like, I gotcha, I'm going to explosion you for four, which is better than your chemistry's insight. Have you or... decked somebody with explosion yet? No. Then you you truly have not mastered the deck. I truly have not lived. Um, but I've killed so many Teferis with it. I've killed, um, you know, I've nugged my opponent for 15 with Banefire. I got into a control matchup where um, my opponent had me outcarded like seven, seven to one. They had seven cards in their hand and I had one. And they had a Teferi slowly ticking up to the ultimate. I kept like lightning striking it to get it down or something like that, knowing that all I had to do was get to Banefire and enough lands in play. And then finally they like ticked it up to the point where it was going to, uh, it was going to ultimate the next turn. I had a shock in hand. I like shocked them in the face and I'm like, I got to rip Banefire the next turn or else I lose Banefire game over 14 damage <laughs> uncounterable to the face. What's up to fairy. Yeah. I imagine your opponent was not very happy about that. No. And it's like, you get to a point where just like, all I need is that because it's uncounterable. Right. But then you get in the matchups where, um, all your removal is dead and you know, your, your lava coils are dead in your hand and things like that. So this definitely shines in a best of three because you can tailor it. You can be more control. You can be less control. You can bring in your, your planeswalkers or your niv mizzets. But I think if you're running best of ones, you know, maybe spring for that niv mizzet, throw your rowl in there, main deck, maybe, you know, cut one or two pieces of removal or, or something like that. Maybe cut your syncopate. Um, and I think it's a really fun deck. I think there's a lot of really cool things you can do, and it makes me appreciate the uh, the control matchup a lot more. Yeah, and I, I have played against all of the decks that you're talking about today and obviously played with the one that I played. I think any of these would be a fine choice if one of them speaks to you. And if you end up in a situation where you have opened a lot of great cards for another deck, like let's say you just happen to have a lot of good aggressive white cards, you could build a mono white deck. It, it Like use this as the basis for guiding you, or you can go find a deck list that you like on MTGO Goldfish or anywhere else, and then start doing that replacement game. And I actually found that really satisfying in the closed beta to start with what I knew was a suboptimal version of the deck that I wanted and then upgrade it piece by piece and I'd usually get a a piece for it every other day. And it was pretty exciting to be like, this is a major upgrade for this deck to bring this in. And I remember when I replaced the last piece for it, it was just, it was kind of a super exciting moment. I'm like, I just completed the deck. Now we can start working on another one. Yeah. And, you know, like I said, if the, if the free-to-play player is trying to get that, you know, four wins a day or making sure that they're doing four wins every three days and doing their quests doing your weekly 15 wins, like you should be able to get, assuming you're not drafting, you're spending all your goal on packs. You should be able to get about seven to 10 packs per week, fairly easily, maybe, maybe like six to 10 packs per week, per week, fairly easily, which is guaranteed one rare wild card per week or mythic guaranteed mm -hmm. every week. So like there's your piece every week. If you're only playing a couple of days a week, just like you said, like once every couple of days, then you're going to get random ICRs. 
and you're going to get random cards and boosters that might be there. Like, you might get a Shockland or something like that. Like, great, I'm super excited to open a Shockland in Arena. It's awesome. Those are the best things to open, aren't they? Because they don't have to craft them. I don't have to make them. I want to craft the cool cards. I don't want to craft the card that, like, yay, it's a Shockland. I'm going to play it tapped because I don't need it untapped, right? So um, there's there's some really cool things. I think another approach you can take too, um, and, and this is this is obviously a way less optimal uh, way to, to build your deck is you can also just take your good draft decks, jam them together, and and try to play with those. And I think those would be suitable for a lot of players at the low kind of bronze tier matchmaking because you're probably going to end up playing against people that are playing starter decks at that point. You're not going to be playing against your Teferis and your Niv Mizzets most of the time. Um, you're not going to you're not playing against those people that spent wild cards on their decks usually. So I think like you can do things like that as well. If, if you don't find something that speaks to you or you don't want to spend your wild cards just yet. I've found functionally good Demir draft decks in the competitive queues. Like mm-hmm. there, there are people that are absolutely doing that with the Demir decks. So like if you do five drafts and you do it right on quick draft, you've probably got a Demir standard deck that you could run. Well, the thing about the Demir standard deck is it leans heavily on Surveil, which is only in Guilds of Ravnica. So, of course, you're going to be playing Guilds of Ravnica cards, right? Yeah. It just makes sense. So so there's there's things like that you can do, too. Um, I don't have a ton of those lists, but I but if you look at um, not necessarily MTG, Gold, MTG Goldfish, although actually MTG Goldfish does have a section for um, Guilds of Ravnica only standard decks... Um, I think I think there was an article that went out last week that was like 20 standard decks for under $30. Um, and there was a section in there for purely Guilds of Ravnica decks. So you could look at those too. But again, the cost on Magic Online or, or Paper is different than the cost on Arena because Arena is about the quantity of cards, whereas Offline or, or Magic Online is the cost of the cards. So you might not be able to find decks in there. But again, you could just draft and and play that demir deck or draft and play a cool Slesnia deck if you open you know tristani and something like that so or just draft and grab the rare the rares that you need for the deck that you're building like don't be ashamed of that if you're drafting and looking to build your collection you could do that too right like that's like a thousand gold in your pocket right there Mm -hmm. all right that was a fun little exercise i'm glad we got to talk constructed this week yeah i'm really surprised that i've been playing constructed enjoying it and i'm looking for like i did a i did a 10 hour stream today and then streamed for another 30 minutes playing constructed because i was having fun i just kept going fun is good magic is fun magic is fun magic is great i look i do look forward to drafting next week though again i'm gonna I'm still on the stream wagon and I'm looking forward to doing some of that, but I might, maybe I'll do a constructed stream. Maybe I'll build a couple of these decks and we'll run them in the, the, the queues and we'll see how they do. Yeah. Get her done, man. It's fun. And like my viewers are having a blast watching me play constructed because they never get to see that. There you go. All right. Well, that was good this week, um, but I think we're going to wrap it up. So thanks to all of our listeners and thanks to face to face games for the host and Travis, where can they catch you streaming constructed? <laughs> Never thought I'd hear that. Uh, twitch.tv slash Simulan. Uh, you can find me right there. And I'm at twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. We are on Twitter at the same handle, each of us. You can also follow us on Men From Moto. Um, you'll have links to the show notes there. If you listen on iTunes, for example, you can catch us there. Um, and thanks to our Patreons. And if you want to support the podcast, you can become a patron. That's patreon.com slash Men From Moto. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Adios.